Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. This is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, and this morning we conclude the Advent portion of our sermon series, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? In this series, we've been creating space for all of our emotions this holiday season while also finding ways to rejoice and experience the life of Christ amid our weariness. And for most of the series, we focused on Zechariah and Elizabeth. In the first message, we read about how this faithful married couple who were beyond childbearing years received an unexpected blessing. And after years of praying and nothing... They had accepted their weariness, as well as Elizabeth's barrenness. And so when the angel appeared in the temple, uh, and Zechariah was there on duty as a priest, he told Zechariah that this was going to happen, and it was hard to believe. And because of his disbelief, Zechariah loses his voice until the birth of the child, and Elizabeth keeps her pregnancy secret for the first six months. Therefore, we stress the need then to acknowledge our weariness and affirm that we were made for joy. In the second message, we saw how Elizabeth was able to discover joy and emerge from her weariness through her connection with Mary, who had also received good news. It confirmed with Elizabeth that God was indeed up to something. He was up to something, but she never would have had this breakthrough experience without her expressing and sharing her joy with Mary. And then last week, Matt, Pastor Melissa invited us to see within this surprising and unexpected story of how God will awe us when he's at work in our weariness, but we must allow ourselves to be amazed. Just imagine if these characters had hardened their hearts. If they'd hardened their hearts and their cynicism and their trauma and their pain they could have not received the new thing that God was doing. And thankfully, they surrendered all of that to God and allowed the Lord to give them peace, and as the song says, comfort and joy. Which brings us to this morning's message. How does a weary world rejoice? We sing stories of hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you once again, and we open up our hearts and our minds to you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would speak to us. Lord, set us free. Free us up from our sin. Free us up from ways of thinking that hinder spiritual growth. Lord, we pray against any distractions within us or outside of us that would keep us from hearing a word from you. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. Think about this with me. What role has music and singing had in your life? 
What role has music and singing had in your life? And think about all of the times and the places that we listen to music or we sing. Some of you may have done that this morning in the shower, right? Uh, where else? The elevator, <laughs> the department store, ball games, certainly at church. Uh, you know, I grew up in the church and I was there every time the doors were open and we sang a lot. Uh, and so even my experience of things like concerts for the longest time was always centered around worship. And so I, re- I can still remember going to secular concerts and thinking, this feels odd. People singing, but not necessarily to God. But you could tell that there was a power at work in all of those corporate voices. Can you recall a time that music or singing greatly impacted you? Think about that dynamic, especially the corporate one. Why do we sing? And as Christians, why do we sing in worship? Well, in her book, The Worship Architect, Constance Cherry says that the purpose of congregational singing is to sing the story of God. She says, worship is primarily a proclamation of the whole story of who God is, what God has done through his mighty acts of salvation throughout history. Worship announces that, that God is with us. It announces what God has done and will do from the beginning to the end of time. So we express our faith and we express it through Singing, specifically our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. The gospel and the hope of the world. This is what we are called together to sing. And while not every worship service tells that whole story, we know that, if we'll stay committed to the church and a shared life together as disciples, that whole story will emerge as we journey through the Christian calendar every year. And there are certain times in our corporate worship services that we've encountered and been changed by God in the scene of that story. And maybe you can recall some of those moments, maybe even recently, maybe this morning. How does that happen? Think about that with me. How does that happen? Well, there's, there's something deeply spiritual as well as physiological about it. Think about the science of singing with me. You can find this information online. I've put a URL there at the bottom of this slide. These are just the top ten benefits of singing, and specifically corporate singing. Number one, it relieves stress. They've actually tested choirs that immediately after singing together, they had lower levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone in our body. Also, it stimulates an immune response. So while listening to music can lessen the stress, actually uh, singing music stimulates an immune response. It releases an antibody to fight infections. Isn't that bizarre that God created our bodies like that? Three, it increases our pain threshold by releasing endorphins. I've immediately thought of Paul and Silas singing in prison. It had been beaten, they're in pain and chains, and they're singing, and that's when the earthquakes and the angel frees them. 
Number four, it may improve snoring. Wives, tell your husband. Join the choir. Number five, it improves lung function. That's because it builds respiratory muscles. It helps people with respiratory issues. Maybe folks with asthma can even be helped by regular singing. Number six, it develops a sense of belonging and connection. I think we probably all felt that in some sense this morning. The the hormone oxytocin is released. That's the same hormone in the body that's released when a mother has her child laid on her chest in the hospital room for the first time. It is the love hormone, they call it. It is the bonding agent that is released within us when we sing together. Wow, think about that. Number seven, enhances memory. They say that music and singing can actually open up other pathways in the brain that are not normally used for remembering things. Isn't that something? And then often we have music attached to certain memories, which can be good or not so good, but a lot of times that's good for us. So music helps in that way. Singing helps in that way. Number eight, it helps with grief. It allows us to release all of our emotions, everything that we're feeling inside. It's a way of sort of unlocking the door and letting it all out. It improves mental health and mood. It improves speaking ability. They've done this research with folks with autism and Parkinson's to help them to speak. And what does the Bible then say about music and singing? Does it say anything? Yeah, it says a few things. Singing is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. Angels sang, Job tells us, while God created the world. Heaven's jukebox was playing. Think about that. When God was creating the universe, David played for King Saul's mental health. The book of Psalms, 150 chapters of songs, is there in the Bible for us. Psalm 150 actually tells us to worship God with instruments and our voices. The scripture says, a choir went before the army of Judah. Put them, put them out there first. God sings over us, Zephaniah the prophet says, sings over us with joyous dancing. God rejoices. One translation I saw said that God sings aloud and spins around wildly. It's one translation of that word, rejoice, over us. Think about that. Why do we sing? Because God sings. Jesus sang with his disciples at the Last Supper before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's constant singing and worship in heaven as we see in John's revelation as the curtain is pulled back and he sees into the throne room. There are over 50 direct commands for us to sing. And of course, the New Testament church is told to sing in worship. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to begin with verse 15. I want you to see this in its context. Verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, Paul says, but like those who are wise. Notice Paul contrasts wise living with unwise living. Following Jesus then requires intentionality. Verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That is, do the best that you can while living in troubled times. In verse 17, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't act foolish. Uh, one translation says, don't act unwise or ignorant with your actions. 
How does God want you to live? And particularly, how does God want you to respond and make the most of the evil days that we live in? Well, look at verse 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine. You say, well, where did that come from? Clearly, there's a contextual issue going on here at the church in Ephesus. But I want you to think about what Paul is getting at. Listen to that. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't react and respond to life's difficulties and to our weariness with coping mechanisms that will destroy you. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Listen to that. Be wise, not unwise. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't use coping mechanisms that will destroy you like alcohol or it could be drugs or overworking or overeating or whatever it is. So how should we live? Because Paul doesn't stop there. How should we respond to the weariness of the world? Paul goes on. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let God, that is, allow the Lord to pour his Spirit into you. Verse 19, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And it appears here that saying psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as some scholars have pointed out, is Paul's way of describing various forms of musical composition. Make it, play it, sing it to the Lord. Make it, play it, sing it to the Lord. Verse 20 says, thank God for everything. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because gratitude changes your attitude. Gratitude changes your attitude. They actually say, studies say, that if you start there, you're having a hard time singing and letting, letting the Spirit in, letting the joy in and experience that. Begin there. Begin with gratitude. Begin by thanking God for His work in your life, for the gifts. Every good and perfect gift, the Scripture says, comes from Him. Enables us to see God's goodness Uh, to experience his mercy and his grace and his love amid the trials that come in a weary world. Do you you hear what Paul is saying? Yeah, life wasn't too too different then as it is now, is it? We still have ways in which we try to cope with our weariness. But listen to what Paul is saying. And they do come to us all, trials, right? As they, they had come to the oppressed living in first century Palestine. Remember when the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah? It had been about 400 years since a prophet had spoken for God. The Romans had ruled for the last 60 years over the Jewish people. The mighty Roman Empire occupied their land. They enforced heavy taxes. They exerted their military power and their cultural influence where they could. And they further furthered Roman supremacy over what was viewed as an outpost, just a, a backwater full of social, religious, and political dissidents. And then God sends his son into this time within this larger story of Israel to be born of a young Jewish peasant girl. Just think of it. Think of the scandal. And let's read now her song of celebration, of relief and justice and joy that she sings in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 1. Let's look at that real quick. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. Mary has visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth has accessed her joy. 
rejoices over Mary and what God has done, and then Mary sings this song of praise. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. Amen. That is Mary's song. It makes you wonder. Think about this. Had Mary already written this song? I mean, it's just like she had it ready to go. She had it already memorized. Some of it reflects, of course, Han- Hannah's sentiments in the Old Testament for Samuel chapter 2. But it looks as if Mary composed her own song and is singing her own story of hope. I hardly think all of that was completely spontaneous. Notice her song was already committed to memory, and yet it's very likely that she's singing it aloud in the open for the first time there with Elizabeth. And then if you look ahead to Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 80, you can read what is known as Zechariah's song. It's a mix of Zechariah praising God, prophesying over his son, John the Baptist, speaking words of blessing over his little boy. You think both of these biblical characters are singing stories of hope in their songs. They convey the sentiments of people down below. They are the weak. They are the poor. They are the downtrodden and the forgotten. These songs are are born from real adversity. And they're sung by voices that have long prayed for God's supernatural intervention. For God to see them, to remember his people, to remember his promises, and to deliver them from evil. And ultimately, as Mary sings, to scatter the proud, to cast down the wicked, to fill the hungry and exalt the humble. Let's look again at Mary's song more closely, known as the Magnificat. Here's a painting from the Italian Renaissance painter Botticelli. Or, excuse me, Botticelli. <laughs> Somebody would correct me on that. I don't want to go into all the detail of this picture, but look at this. I want to point out a couple of things here that we see. Here's Mary being crowned with divine favor as she holds the baby Jesus. And look at that. Adds her song of hope to the gospel of Luke. My friends, we simply cannot deny or overstate the value of singing stories of hope, of expressing our trust in God through our faithful witness and worship. For when we lift up our own voices and we sing together, look at this, we join a chorus of angels and of saints in glory. Don't miss this. Songs of hope. Look at this. Live in the inspired Holy Scriptures. 
They live there. And it's in our songs or these old songs sung in a new way that we can experience God's presence and worship with other disciples. And that's what I'd like to invite us to do now. With open hearts and hungry souls, let's watch and listen to this worship song based on Mary's Magnificat. Listen, reflect, sing along if you like, but let's continue to worship. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior has seen his servant in need, and behold the great things he has done, he scatters the proud and rich, he lifts up the humble and of the earth he casts from their thrones and the hungry he welcomes to feast oh behold my Savior has come and my soul will tell of his praise for he who is strong has come to the weak and at last he will reign as our
bring this message to a close, here are some questions to help us reflect and respond to the Lord together. Number one, like Mary and Zechariah, will you sing a song of hope amidst the weariness that you see and feel in this world? It takes an intentional effort, a conscious decision. Will you do that this Advent and Christmas? Number two, what song do you need to write? Or maybe to make your own this Advent and Christmas. Make it your prayer to God. Is there a song that comes to mind? Or maybe you're a musician and you need to write a song. And then number three, how has the Spirit been speaking to you through the season of Advent? And will you receive His Word with joy? Lord, we told you earlier in our prayer that we are your servants and we are listening. Speak to us now, Lord. Help us to access the stories of hope that are within us. the ways in which you have blessed us, the gifts that you have given us. Oh, Lord. Help our minds to grasp and our bodies to feel and express who you are to us and what you have done. as we sing of your hope, as we wait on you, Lord, bless us with your presence. Give us an encounter with you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.